Rise up, young man. Rise up, young lady. You are not alone. No matter what you're going through, it is going to pass. You're going to come out the other side. Keep shining. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of You Are Not Alone podcast by Mamba Inspire Brand. Like the title suggests, the purpose of this podcast is to help people out there who are going through unimaginable struggles know that they are not alone and believe that they will come out on the other side. Ladies and gentlemen, we have a very special guest with us today, Edgar Lopez. How are you, Edgar? I'm doing great. Doing great. Amazing. Thank you for inviting me today. So, Edgar, where are you at the moment? So, I'm currently in Austin, Texas right now, and it's pretty sunny. Uh, you know, the, the weather's great. Uh, you know, I might take a run later on today. It's, it's, it's a beautiful day today. Nice. Tell us a little bit about yourself, Edgar. Uh, so, I am actually not from Austin. I'm originally from Los Angeles, California. Uh, I am a first-generation Mexican-American college student i just finished my master's uh not too long ago probably like two weeks ago uh so i just graduated walked the stage uh went to ucla for my undergrad uh did my bachelor's in political science and then my second bachelor's in chicano chicano studies and then a minor in education uh, i am currently transitioning into uh from a master's to my phd so i'm going to be going to the university of southern california uh, at USC, uh, to do my doctorate in urban education policy. Uh, so it's been amazing. Uh, academically saying it's, it's definitely been a, a spontaneous trip. Um, you know, like I mentioned to you not too long ago, 10 years ago when I was in high school, I definitely didn't imagine myself going through this, uh, you know, to the right of higher education. So it's been a, a wonderful re- uh, re- reflection at moment. Um, it's truly amazing. How was growing up for you with undocumented parents? How much did they need to sacrifice to give you the life you have today? Man, uh, well, I can tell you right away, it definitely was not easy. It was difficult to uh, navigate. Um, I didn't realize the, the barriers, the restrictions, the limitations people have without documentation. Um, my, parents, <clears throat> my parents never really had a uh, consistent or stable job. Uh, just because in jobs that pay you well and jobs that are very stable, you usually have to have your citizenship. Um, so it's been hard. It's been hard. We lived in poverty. Uh, we didn't really, we didn't really live in in, in the best conditions. Um, but you know that they, they, regardless of how limited um, my siblings and I grew up, they definitely try to provide the best that they could. Uh, and right now, even now, like you know, I'm still fighting for their for their papers. Um, for their legal uh, residency, uh, and it's been a, a really tough uphill battle. But you know, we're pushing through. We're pushing through a lot. Um, you know, and at the end of the day, I am, I am grateful for everything they provided. Where did you grow up? What was growing up like for you? So I originally grew up in Mid City, Los Angeles. Um, you know, where where essentially other people who were low income, um, other people who um, weren't able to, uh, you know, have proper affordable housing lived around. Um, I lived there around for 10, 12 years. Uh, and then after that, that's when I moved to Inglewood, which was, I want to say, give or take five miles from, from where I used to live. 
and it's going south. Uh, so Inglewood is right next to the LAX airport. Oh boy, could you tell the audience where is Inglewood? Ooh, okay. So usually when uh, when people are like, "Hey, where's Inglewood?" Um, the most common point of reference is Compton. Uh, so Compton is actually nearby Inglewood, and that's also another way how people recognize it. It's either by you saying that we live by the LAX airport or, hey, do you know where Compton's at? Have you ever heard of Compton? Oh, yeah, the bad city. Yeah, 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 sure. Uh, that's where I live, pretty much close by, um, you know, give or take another five to ten miles um, away. But, yeah, um, you know, that's that's also another point of reference. But... Englewood essentially is uh, predominantly African American, uh, Hispanic second um, population. It's it's had its rough moments. Uh, me growing up in Englewood definitely was rough. There was a lot of gang violence at that time, and and it's definitely decreased a lot. Uh, but also another reason was because gentrification is coming right now. I'm not, I'm not sure if you're familiar with with the LA Rams, but they're uh, building a stadium in Englewood, so it's definitely improving in terms of. Uh, appearance but the thing is that you know a lot of people who live in a low-income situations are being pushed out because the rent is is drastically increasing um there was recently a report where someone who was paying for a two-bedroom apartment was paying roughly a thousand four hundred and they got a notification that their rent boosted to two thousand seven hundred and fifty and that's that's just insane that's ridiculous but uh, you you have new stores, you have new attractions, new new venues coming in, so it makes sense why people would would want to boost the rent. Um, there's no rent control in Inglewood, so rent is always crazy. Um, but yeah, so for the most part, of Inglewood Inglewood's been changing from the for the past ten years a lot. Um, but yeah, so so far that's where my family calls at home. At home, was college a privilege for you or an expectation? So college was definitely not an expectation. So like I mentioned, going back to my parents, my parents dropped out of middle school uh, in Mexico. So when people say, oh, I can't wait to go to college, higher education, higher, you know, it's a higher level than what I used to. It's like for me, no. For me, high school was my higher education, um, which is, it sounds incredible just thinking about it, right? But yeah, so high school was the next level for me instead of college. Um, so once I finished, or I was on the route to finish high school, I did ask my parents, like, hey, you know, what do you expect from this? And they told me, you know what? High school is what we know to be the next level. We don't know anything past that. Um, and I told them, I was like, hey, you know, people are talking about college. I don't know what that is, but, uh, you know, I might give it a try. No one from my family, um, you know, from any side of my parents, uh, knew what college was either, right? They would just be like, "Oh, why are you going for more school?" Um, so it didn't make sense. It didn't. It didn't make sense. The fact that I had to also pay for school. Um, you know, my parents were like, "Why are you going to pay for school? Why can't you just go to, uh, you know, uh, to the workforce right away?" Um, so yeah, so college was definitely not an expectation. It was something where. If you're going, I mean, it makes no sense why you're going to college, but because my my parents saw the short-term view rather than the long-term, like, hey, if I go to college, I get a bachelor's degree. Um, you know, and if I keep going more, I can also earn more income. You know, but 
for the most part, uh, it has it definitely was not expectation. Um, my parents knew that there was something out there more in terms of education. They just, like I said, they didn't know the system of education, uh, especially here in the U.S. But for the most part, yeah. It, it, once I started college, my parents were very supportive, and very, uh, very helpful throughout various forms of assistance. And even today, right? Like, you know, they're, they're constantly motivating me. They're constantly telling me, keep going, keep going. We don't know exactly what a PhD is, but keep going. You know, we're here for support. So you went from Inglewood to UCLA. How was that transition? What did you have to sacrifice? So adapting from Inglewood to UCLA was one of the most challenging things I've had um, growing up. Just because, like I mentioned, I didn't know what college was, but I gave it a shot. Uh, the moment I got into UCLA, I suffered culture shock. I suffered imposter syndrome, uh, survivor's guilt, homesickness. There were so many feelings, mixed emotions, um, so many feelings I've had uh, during that time. And it was very difficult. It was very difficult in the sense that I didn't know anyone. Um, uh, or I didn't know a lot of people. I only knew like four other people who also went to UCLA uh, with me from high school, but everyone else I didn't really know. Um, I was very shy. I was very scared. And, you know, typically you really don't hear stuff like that, but <clears throat> it's very common. It's very common, especially when you come from a area of poverty and you enter a school or a community where it's filled with affluent resources, affluent people. Um, it's, it's overwhelming. And it definitely was overwhelming for me. But over time, I definitely got more used to it. And I was able to adapt better with the assistance from mentors, with the with the help of peers and colleagues, um, and like I said, the motivation that I got from my family uh, that that kept me consistent, and that made that inspired me to keep on going and stay and adapt even better. How hard was it to go through college? How hard was it dealing with the imposter syndrome, intimidation, and all of that? <laughs> I would say that. Receiving the Gates Millennium Scholarship has been truly a blessing. Um, if it was possible, I would have wanted that, you know, for everyone to receive it. Uh, but that scholarship was definitely a huge milestone in my life, and it, I, I personally don't know where I would have been had not been for the assistance of the scholarship. Um, but in terms of, of accepting like truly accepting that I am a uh, a Gates Millennium Scholar and I'm a college student, it, it was just, you know, something that was very conflicting to me just because you have these labels, um, or not necessarily the labels, but you have this package. You're a college student, you have a full ride, but you're also Latino, you're a male, you come from a, low socioeconomic status background, how does those mix together properly, right? Um, in my community, it's it's a stereotype where if you're a Latino man, you're more likely to go um, into the wrong path, right? And according to data that I've collected in my district, more and more Latino men are catered and, and directed to go into prison dropping out or going to the workforce. There's only a few Latino men who really go from high school to, to college, right? So 
sometimes I had to tell myself, do I deserve to be here? Is is this, you know, I'm in college, but should I be going to the workforce instead? Should I, should I have gone to prison? Should I have dropped out? Like what, why am I here, right? Why am I here in this position? Why do I feel that I have to represent my community? You know, should, should it have been me? Should it have been someone else? Uh, so you'll have those thoughts, right? You'll have thoughts of of doubt and doubts of uh, of feeling like a fake, of feeling like an imposter. And, you know, like you mentioned right now, right? I, I think sometimes it does feel hard to accept the fact that, hey, you know, you're in college, you have a lot of support behind you, but why do you feel like you don't deserve it? Why do people say, you know, you're going to, you know, you're, going to do things, but I'm not sure if you're even going to graduate, right? Um, and, and it goes back to doubt. It goes back to doubt of feeling, am I going to be successful, right? You know, I got to college, but am I going to graduate? Am I going to do something with my life? Or am I just here to waste uh, time, to waste money, to waste resources? Uh, I don't even see myself here in a couple of years, you know, down the road. Um, I might only be here for a semester, for a quarter, for a year. So it, it does have a lot to do with confidence. It has a lot to do with the support that you have. And it has a lot to do with how you feel you're going to persist. Um, for me, like I mentioned, it was, it was my family, it was my, my close friends my mentors that really pushed me to say, yes, you belong here at this institution. Yes, there's not a lot of you that, you know, there's not a lot of people that look like you in this uh, predominantly white institution, but there are people here. There are support here. Yes, this college may not have been built for you historically, but this college is going to make you successful as long as you're able to put in the work and the community of UCLA was able to put in the work into me as well. Um, so over time, I definitely got used to it, and I, I adapted well afterwards uh, with the help of my friends. And, <clears throat> you know, I, I ended up feeling like I do deserve to be at UCLA, and I do deserve the scholarship. I do deserve a lot of the opportunities that I got because I applied, I put in the, I put in the work, and I'm really, <clears throat> really proud of, of where I'm at right now in the position of my life. And I think I wouldn't have been here, like I mentioned, had not been for the for the support that I received and the and the guidance. What kind of struggle did you face at UCLA? So I actually had a terrible experience uh, with one of my professors during office hours. Um, so, like I mentioned, because I came from a background of poverty, I I also started working right away when I started UCLA, and I I will say that I got overwhelmed working and being a college student. So that's something that a lot of people realize. When you work, that does take that does play a role in how you're going to perform, um, whether it be a small impact or a large impact. And for me, it was a large impact because I didn't realize how good it was to make money. I started working 15 to 20 hours a week. Um, but I was serving the community. I was a college, essentially I was a college advisor and, um, I was helping high school students from ninth to, t- uh, to 12th grade, um, how to improve the chances to get into college. 
by making sure that they're taking the right courses, they're making sure that they're getting engaged with the community, that they're getting involved in extracurricular activities. So I was doing a lot of work with them. And, and at the end, I was putting in so much work that I started putting in, putting in less work in my classes. And there was a particular class that I took where I missed, I want to say, 75% of the lectures, which is a lot, which is, a lot, which is definitely, definitely a lot. And I took the midterms, and I uh, there was two midterms for that class. I took the midterms, and I scored the lowest for both. The professor ended up emailing me, uh, and this is during the first official quarter of UCLA. The professor emailed me, and he's like, hey, are you still enrolled in my class? And I'm like, yeah, I am. All right, well, we're going to need to talk right away. I need to see you in my office ASAP. So, you know, I went to his, uh, my professor's office the next day, and, you know, I was waiting for him for a while. I get in, and he sits me down, and right away I just feel this this tension between us. Um, I just felt like he, I was a burden in his office, and he tells me right away, why haven't you dropped my class? I'm just like, what? I'm so confused. And he's like, yeah, why haven't you dropped my class? You know, I don't understand how you, you think you're going to succeed in this class. You're going to fail. And I was just like, well, what do you mean and all? Um, I I just, I was so confused. So he ended up going through, through my midterm, uh, both of them. And he was like, you know, I don't know how you think you're going to pass this class. And I told him, I was like, look, I'm practicing. I'm putting in putting in the work I'm studying and I think I'll, I'll, I'll be fine. And he's like, no, you know, even if you do the best, even if you got a hundred on this test, you're not going to pass in my class. I don't understand. I don't understand what you think is, is going to happen here. And I was like, are you sure? What if I do, you know, no, that's not going to matter. Oh, what if I do, uh, you know, no, that's not, that's not going to work. Oh man. And he's like, you know, lost for words, like, why are you still here? And, you know, I was just, it just got quiet for a bit. And then he told me, where are you from? And I was like, hmm, I know where this is going, but I'm going to say maybe I'm wrong. And, he, and I tell him, I'm a, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm from Ringwood. And then he just sighs. He's like, oh, you know, I don't know why this university accepts people like you if you, they know you're going to fail. And then, I just, I, I was already getting dizzy. I, I just, I just felt so embarrassed, so humiliated by him telling me that. And it was just shocking, breathtaking to hear a professor say this to me. And I just couldn't, I just couldn't anymore. And he, I pretty much, you know, was trying to wrap up my conversation with him. And I'm like, you know what, I, I need to head out, but thank you so much. I'll see what I can do. I'm just going to study as much as I can, and I'll try to get a C, a C minus, or you know something like that. Right? Um, I ended up dropping the course uh, very last minute, and I just I just couldn't anymore. Like you know, I I, I was so done. Uh, I want to say that this was my first office hours for for the uh, for the quarter, and after that, I vowed not to go to any office hours throughout the rest of the the, the year. 
and I didn't. And that ended up pushing me to a point where I was failing classes. I failed a couple of classes. I dropped a few, and I just didn't. I wasn't at my best, right? And, you know, there was a lot of regret that I had in my first year. I wish I could have gone to office hours. I wish I could have gone and vented out to people. Instead, I was very quiet. I told myself, no, keep it to yourself. Um, people don't want to hear your what, what you're going through. Um, you know, it, it was just overwhelming for me. Um, and it was just shocking to know that people can tell you these things and how much it can really hurt. What did you do after that? How did you deal with that? So I ended up going um, back home for the summer. And I told myself, you know what, this is it. I'm done. I'm not going back to g I'm dropping out. Because I called other my high school friends, and many of them had dropped out already or said that they were going to quit at this point. There was nothing for them to do at, at this point. So I told myself, why am I going to go if my friends dropped out? So I was thinking of dropping out and leaving UCLA, but um, my parents ended up convincing me to try one more time. And I had a few close friends who told me, hey, I'm thinking of dropping out too, but if you stay, I'll stay. Um, so you know, it was a collaborative effort. We went back, to, uh, my friends and I went back to my our second year, and it was in my second year that I had my first African-American male professor, um, teacher ever, and I was like, wow, you know, I normally don't have, I've usually had white uh, teachers, but, you know, it, it was uh, it was refreshing to have a, a, male, male, a male teacher, especially of color. Um, who came into the room, took over the classroom, and just started lecturing, but also gave us a, a space where we could vent out and, you know, started telling us, you know, have any of you felt like you didn't deserve to be here? And I'm like, oh, my God, me. You know, oh, have any of you felt like you um, weren't treated well? Oh, yeah, me. And, you know, the course was... uh um, education 130, race, class, and gender and, and equities and qualities in the U.S. So it was really, it was a really amazing class. I went to office hours with this professor several times throughout the, the quarter. And this professor, uh, Dr. Tyrone Howard, he pretty much changed my academic trajectory. I wanted to be a lawyer. And uh, thankfully, I found a more suitable pathway, which was education. Um, you know, so had it not been for this experience, this terrible experience, I would not have, it would not have led me to this amazing experience I had later on with this other professor. Um, you know, so again, I, I did have bad and good experiences while I was at UCLA. Uh, it's just how you navigate afterwards that really shapes you. How did you navigate afterwards? How did you get into education? With the Gate to Millennium Scholarship, there are restrictions on what I can pursue after I graduate from undergrad. Uh, education is one of the seven funded fields. So it was something I was interested in. But not only that, um, like I mentioned, the, the professor that changed my academic trajectory, he, uh, he was a, a professor of education. So I did tell him one time, I was like, you know what, I want to be just like you now. You, know, you helped inspire me and, and change my 
my life for the better. I, I want to do that for someone else. I want to help out more people like you, uh, like you did. And, you know, I started looking into educational disparities, educational inequalities, inequities, uh, issues in higher education. And I wanted to study me, essentially. I wanted to see what people like me, you know, of color, men, uh, Latino and African-American males, uh, first-generation college students, I wanted to see how they persisted in highly selective institutions and predominantly white institutions. So I, that's what led me to do my research um, centered around those themes. Um, and, I, you know, I, I really enjoy it. I really enjoy look, reading articles that talk about this because essentially I connect my personal life with them. And that's that's what's pushing me to keep on going through higher ed, through education, particularly the field of education. So you grew up in Inglewood, and you had undocumented parents. Today, you, are, you just finished your master's degree. I'm sure you went through so many struggles, and there were times you wanted to say, "The heck with it," and you wanted to give up. What kept you going? What kept you uh, believing that? there is something out there for you and you're going to go and get it. Well, yeah, I think about it like this, right? Life is, is honestly short. Life is short for everyone. And, you know, we have to make the best that we can out of it. And in my mind, I just, you know, I wake up every morning and I tell myself, all right, you know what? You know, try to accomplish one small goal for today that will contribute to a larger goal tomorrow or then, you know, a week later. Um, in my mind, just giving back and mentoring and, and just being someone to guide others, that's that's a passion that I love. I, I, I love hearing other people's stories. I love getting um, getting help from people just as I give help, right? And I tell a lot of people right, that want to serve the community, you have to be part of the community in order to... Uh, uh, you, you have to be part of the community in, or, in order to provide more support, more, more, more services. Um, yeah. And, and for me, I am part of multiple communities in Los Angeles, Inglewood, Austin, and any other areas I visited. And in my mind, I just know whatever I do today, it's going to be positive. Right. And I have a positive mindset that you want to put in the best that you can. You knowing that, I'm not doing this work alone and knowing that as, as far as I walk, there's going to be, there's always going to be people behind me, walking with me, walking behind me, walking in front of me. Um, and they're going to look up to me. You know, I, I'm a symbol uh, of, of hope for many people, especially my family. Um, you know, a symbol of representation, like, wow, that's a Latino male student that looks just like me. I, think I can do it. If he can do it, I can do it. Right. And, and that's something in my mind. I'm thinking I'm putting in the work because I know other people are looking to do something similar, but maybe they don't have a role model. Maybe they don't have an older sibling. Maybe that, you know, that have done the work that, that they would want to one day do as well. Um, so at the end of the day, what wakes me up is, is knowing the fact that many people are, are out there, you know, looking for role models. And I want to be this role model for many people. And not the only role model. I want to be one of the role models that many people will look up to, uh, especially my siblings, right? I mean, my siblings are 
are still growing up themselves and they're going through this path of higher education as well. And I'm just exceeding the expectations just so they can also reach higher levels. Um, but I'm, I'm excited. I'm excited to continue this work in higher ed. I'm excited to, con- to collaborate you know, with you and many other people uh, to do this work. And you know, just sharing our personal struggles, our personal stories, because I went through a lot. I honestly went through a lot to the point, like I mentioned, I thought I was going to prison. I thought I was going to drop out. I thought I was going to the workforce. Um, and having the guidance and the mentors push to push me to higher ed, hey, you should go to college. That's what made me change my, my life trajectory. And now that I'm here, I, I'm not here to save people per se, but I'm here to support people, to provide guidance, mentorship, to, to help them out in their own lives, because that's something I wish I had more of. I, I want to be someone who I wish I had when I was younger. I want to help, you know, elevate someone, give them that extra push of uh, motivation. Hey, you haven't heard this before, but I believe in you. Right. And I think that's something that wakes me up every morning, knowing the fact that I can make change as little as it can be or as big as it can be. Um, but I'm here to, to lay a, a small uh, footprint in someone's life, right? A positive impact. That That's something that motivates me every day. What are some of your long and short-term goals? So my short-term goal, <laughs> uh, yeah, I definitely want to uh, go going back. Long-term or short-term? Both. Oh, so... So short term, uh, I definitely want to get back into the workout r- rhythm. Um, you know, it's been a while just because I've been so I, I was working full time uh, this past year and being a full time student, so it was definitely difficult to have extra um, have any extra time to do other things, so like working out and and you know um, continuing to learn how to cook. So I'm also learning how to cook, uh, you know, different recipes and. And, uh, you know, a variety of meals. So when I go back to California, I can, you know, shock my parents. Like, wow, you know how to cook. Um, so that's something I want to do. Definitely start losing a little bit more weight, uh, you know, for health purposes. Uh, but also, you know, work on a couple of projects that I have, lay, you know, lay out a couple of projects that I have in mind to do next year, next semester, or even next, within the next four years of my PhD. So those are my short-term goals. Um, and then also move back to California. So I'm going to be packing up soon. Uh, like I mentioned, I'm going to be starting my PhD, so I'm going to have to move back to Los Angeles. So I, I am getting ready for the move. Um, long-term goals. So my three goals in life, I want to become uh, a tenured professor at a university, a director of a student affairs program or a mentoring program or an outreach program in, at a higher ed institution and a, a, an education consultant. Um, you know, those are the three long-term goals that I have, uh, and I'm confident I'm going to accomplish those within the next seven years. And, you know, in my mind, I just uh, want to make sure I put in the effort as I can. I also want to buy a house for my family, uh, and that's something that I've always wanted to do. And even at this level now, I feel it's much more reachable than it, than it, than than I could ever imagine. But right now I'm still working. You know, I'm improving my credit. I'm improving my income. Um, but yeah, those are my short-term and long-term goals. You know, it, even the word itself, right? Dreams. Um, 
it seems like something that you can only imagine. It's like how I grew up thinking that New York was uh, was a dream, right? Like something that it'd be nice, but you're not going to really accomplish. Um, kind of like you know, to, to, you know, or, or like a make up made up thing, right? Um, you know, but now that I've been accomplishing a lot of these dreams, right, and I made them into reality. Um, I never thought New York was a real place growing up, right? Because I would always see it in movies. And when I went to New York for the first time uh, back in 2016, it was an amazing, nostalgic feeling. I was like, wow, it's real. This is a real place. Um, you know, so I think about it like that, right? You know, getting my undergraduate degrees, wow, this is real. I have my undergrad uh, degrees. I have my bachelor's. Wow. And advancing to the master's level, getting that feeling again, like, oh my God, I've accomplished something huge. Like, this is no longer a dream. This is an expectation, right? And even my PhD, I don't, I see it as a, as a needed expectation for me. And I know I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to accomplish it. Uh, it it's just going to take a while, but I, I see a lot of these dreams that, that I have and I'm formatting a plan. I'm making a plan. I'm making, making moves where, I know I can navigate much more, uh, much much more smooth, smoothly, and they're going to happen pretty much, right? I'm going to make them happen. It's it's a lot of planning, a lot of work, a lot of effort, and a lot of time that I have to invest uh, into myself and into others for my dreams to be, you know, to take for to to shape into something more um, realistic and 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 something that I can for sure achieve, right? Um, but yeah, so I, I am definitely excited for, for, I have a lot of goals in mind. I have a lot of aspirations and I'm going to be chasing them, um, you know, short-term, long-term, forever, you know? Um, but I'm excited for them. Do you have any advice for the younger you uh, who who's struggling right now, don't know how to go through these struggles? So one thing I will say is, don't be afraid to be vulnerable and ask for help because many people like me, you know, first generation college student, uh, Latino, Mexican American, we have this notion that whatever we go through, we, we can't complain about it. We got to keep on going. For me, I would say that I broke down so many times in undergrad. I broke down a few times in my master's and I'm sure I'm going to break down in my PhD. But now I don't hesitate to reach out to friends, to reach out to family, to reach out for support. Just because it, it, you, know, you have to really push for self-care. Self-care is something that I didn't really uh, find important during undergrad, but I found it extremely needed during my master's. And I know I'm going to need it for my PhD. But don't be afraid to be vulnerable because when you become vulnerable there will be people out there that will help you out there will be people out there that will reach you know heart to heart and i can say that's how i've managed to make to make some of uh some of my closest friends today you know my some of my best friends today they were there when i was in my weakest point in my life they were there when i became vulnerable because they became vulnerable vulnerable with me so Definitely don't be afraid to be vulnerable and don't be afraid to to make uh, you know, self-care uh, an important uh, 
aspect of your life, right? You know, there's a moment and a place for everything, time and place for everything, right? And if you feel like, you know what, I was studying so much, right? I keep going, put down the pen, put down the notebook, put down the book, take a walk, ride a bike, um, you know, do something fun, something that will please you in a way where you can restore your energy. You can recover. It's it's like a it's like what I tell people, right? You want to do a road trip from California to New York. That road trip would not take one gas tank. You're gonna have to refill your gas tank a couple of times. But why are you going to stop at a gas station, refill for you know five dollars, and then go on your way? No, take your time, stay there, refill as much as you can and as much as needed, so you can maximize and optimize your, your, your road trip. You know, same thing with life. You know, you can't just say, <clears throat> I'm only going to take a five-minute nap instead of resting for eight hours, right? Um, you know, no, that's, that's not going to, going to help you a lot. You know, you need to really maximize your, your sleep, maximize your energy, maximize your time, um, but also be smart about it, right? You know, so like I mentioned, you know, be, be, it's okay to be vulnerable and reach out for help. It's okay to put time for yourself. As self-care is, is a crucial thing needed. And most importantly, just believe in yourself. Go above and beyond. You have expectations. Go past those expectations. Don't feel that you need to uh, wait for instructions, right? You know, when you want to do something, you know, get out of your comfort zone and do it. Push yourself. When you feel like you've done enough, try to see if you can do even more, right? Um, and collaborate with people. I think that's one of the most important things I've learned. Collaboration is, is, is really amazing, especially when it's with the right people, the people that are supportive and, and just as excited as you are. So there you have it, people. Thank you so much for tuning into the Mamba Inspire You Are Not Alone podcast. We have another great story next episode. Make sure you subscribe to our YouTube channel, Twitter, and Instagram for updates. Look up Mamba Inspire. <laughs>